0: Love Lover, the podcast, acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Araqual people of the Bundjalung Nation, and pays respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Podcast. I'm your host Jordana Levine, and I'm going to try and keep my energy up during this episode. I listened back to last week's episode where I explored the first six astrological houses, and guys, it sounded like I'd just taken a Valium and washed it back with a glass of Merlot. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> I had zero energy, so I'm going to bring it. I'm going to try and bring it and hold it up. It can be really hard. Um, talking into a microphone and not talking to someone. It's really hard to get a read of your own um, oomph, I guess. But anyway, I listened back to myself last week and I was just like, what is happening if anyone is listening to this podcast for the first time? (laughs) They must be like, oh my God, that girl is boring AF. Anyway, here we are. So we're going to jump into the final six houses. Yeah, so we looked at houses one to six, now we're looking at houses six to 12. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, please don't be turned off by the way I opened this episode, but you might want to go back and do that because you will learn about the first six houses. If you're just here for the moon, totes get it, totally fine. We're going to go back to normal programming next week. Uh, next Monday, an episode will drop and it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be one of those big episodes. We're exploring Sagittarius season and the Sagittarius new moon. Uh, once again, it would be helpful to have your natal chart in front of you for this episode, but you totally don't have to. If you're driving the car or you're walking, it's fine. It's just handy to know what signs and planets you have in the houses I'm talking about. Um, Okay, you might remember in last week's episode that we spoke about the fact that the heart of astrology is what we see from the Earth's perspective. The houses are spaces above and below where we stand. So if you think of the horizon line on your chart, that's the line that goes uh, horizontally through the middle of the chart. Uh, as the ground on which we stand, you've then got the sky divided into two. Half the sky can be seen, half is invisible. Now, we spoke about the six houses below the horizon line. They are our inner reality. Yeah, that's what we explored in last week's episode. This week, we're looking at the houses above the horizon line. They represent a really obvious communally shared reality. It's when we're sort of introduced to partnership and society. It doesn't conceal any secrets. <laughs> All right. That was that was a half attempt at an evil laugh. All right. Uh, let's kick off with the house that everyone hopes indicates a life of love and happiness and commitment. It is the seventh house. The seventh house is traditionally known as the house of marriage, which is kind of antiquated. It's really more about the house of relationship and we'll explore that in a little bit. Its corresponding sign is Libra and its corresponding planet is Venus. It's about intimate relationships and identification with others. Now, this house is mainly... Well, not really. I mean, look, it depends how you're looking at it. A lot of people will think that it's mainly about romantic unions, and I guess in a way it is, but it really is any kind of relationship, any kind of partnership. The importance of it is the focus on cooperation and compromise, finding an equilibrium within the partnership. So whether that is romantic or business or friendship or familial. But first, there's an identification. Think putting yourself in the other person's shoes and not empathetically necessarily like the water signs, but rather temporarily seeing things from their point of view. Yeah, we have to put aside our personality, i.e. the first six houses and look at life through their eyes, through another's eyes, through the person you're partnering with. If we manage to do this, however, there is the danger that we won't get our independence back. We could become lost in the relationship. We blend so well that we lose our identity. Now, a successful journey through the seventh house is to find an equality between you and your partner, yeah? Yeah. No one is boss. No one holds the power. And this is where your planetary placements in the seventh house come into play. Well, actually, not just the planetary placements, but the signs as well. So the planets and signs in the seventh house are what guide us. They can describe the type of person we are most likely to have success with in that phase of our lives. But more importantly... They describe the dimensions of our own character that must evolve in order to successfully navigate relationships. Make sense? All right. Uh, Just a little reminder here. I did say it in the first episode about houses, but I'll say it again. You don't have to have planets in a house to activate that house. All 12 houses are activated in your chart. Look at the sign that falls within that house. Now, if you have two signs that fall in the house, look at the sign that falls on the cusp of that house. That'll be the line that begins that house if we're moving in an anti-clockwise direction. All right, (laughs) lots of information. Let's move on to the eighth house. This is where things get a little more intense. Eighth house is traditionally known as the house of death. <laughs> Little bit dramatic. I prefer to refer to it as the house of transformation through merging. You guessed it, the corresponding sign is Scorpio and the corresponding planet is Pluto, although some astrologers also say Mars, which kind of makes sense. So this house is also about intensifying and merging within partnership. It works on three distinct levels, emotional, psychological, and material. On an emotional and sexual level, it is Scorpio after all, its terrain is deep bonding within intimate relationships. On a psychological level, the eighth house is about integrating into the mind concepts of sex, death, and the taboo. And on a material level, it's about joint finances and possessions. In all these areas, the common denominator is a need for security and trust in yourself. A release of control, finding a sense of safety in situations beyond your personal control. So if you remember, uh, when was it? Oh, we were talking about the eclipse, yeah? The nodal axis of Taurus Scorpio and that nodal axis's theme. Axi, axis, axis, axises. Axis. <laughs> What's the plural of axis? Quick. I don't have time to Google it. Um, it's security. Yeah? So that is a that is a huge theme of this house. And because it is Uh, Scorpio and it is corresponding planet is Pluto it's about releasing control a successful navigation of the eighth is accepting the reality of feelings arising beyond the personality or going even deeper beyond the explainable yeah we absorb a bunch of feelings that we can't intellectualize that's the eighth house the ninth house is traditionally known as the house of long journeys over water. <laughs> what does that mean? I have no idea what that means. It's better known as mind expanding through exploration. Yeah. Or, or even like, yeah, the expansion of mind through experiential exploration. The corresponding sign is Sagittarius and the corresponding planet is Jupiter. Jupiter. Now, I've become fascinated with this house. I don't know why. I think it's come up a lot lately in natal chart readings I've been doing. And I love it when it shows up prominently in someone's chart. The ninth house is all about broadening the mind through experience, i.e. interacting with life. It's the house where we develop our beliefs where we quest for knowledge and the truth. It's the house of philosophy and laws. It's where we begin to look at things through a wider lens, taking in the bigger, broader picture. It's also the house where we form our opinions and where life becomes our greatest teacher. Uh, It's also the house of travel... Religion, philosophy, different cultures, higher learning institutions, anything that broadens our knowledge. It's the arena of the explorer, the nomad, the adventurer, those that choose experience over learning about it by absorbing information. So like the opposite of the ninth house is the third house, which we learned about last week, which is about absorbing information, communication, your perceived environment. Yeah, this is like, nah, I don't care about that stuff. I'm gonna go out into the world and learn about it myself. It's also the terrain of like um, preachers and gurus, crusaders. and I don't know if this is a fact, but I've noticed it a lot. nine pounds. Sagittarius energy, Jupiter energy is like that motivational speaker, like Tony Robbins type vibe. To successfully navigate the ninth, we must learn to step outside of fear and expectation and take chances, leaps of faith. We must make room in our lives for the miraculous. Now, I don't have any planets in the ninth, but my moon is in the third. And i got to say, like the ninth scares me a little bit, but like in a really good way, I feel like I need to be exploring the ninth more deeply. I feel like my spiritual growth really happens in the ninth. And that's not surprising because my sign in the ninth house is Pisces. Okay, well, then we move on to the 10th house. And the 10th house is traditionally known as the house of Korea. Its corresponding sign is Capricorn and its corresponding planet is Saturn. This house is traditionally about work and in a bigger sense, your contribution to the world at large. It's your reputation. It's your position in society. It's about public recognition It is the house of status, ambition, and accomplishments. Yeah, very Saturnian energy, right? It's the area of life where your contribution in the objective world is more important than personal needs. To navigate the 10th house successfully, we must find our destiny. In other words, we must find a way to contribute to the world in a way that honors our inner nature, We have to figure out a way to get paid for being ourselves. So when we look at the planets and the signs in the 10th house, they're there to guide us. Now, if you don't have planets in the 10th, I don't have any planets in the 10th. This doesn't mean you have no career or work or, you know, any contribution to the world. (laughs) Imagine the signs count too. remember. So if there's not a lot of activity in your 10th, it doesn't mean that career is not important to you. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have a career in your life. Um, There's lots of different ways that we can interpret it. Here's an interesting thing that I've seen play out a lot in 10th house placements. um, And I would be interested to know if this resonates with you. Because if we go back to this idea of 10th house guiding us to get paid for being ourselves, yeah? Have you ever been like really successful at work? So you're kicking goals, you're reaching targets, you're making money, you're getting promoted, but at the same time, you're feeling illegitimate and insecure, yeah? Almost like imposter syndrome. This energy can be unsuccessful 10th house navigation. This is where we come back To those planets and signs in the 10th, and see what we can learn in order to navigate it with authenticity. We've then got the 11th house. The 11th house is traditionally known as the house of friends, (laughs) but it's actually more about group consciousness and future direction. The corresponding sign is Aquarius, and the corresponding planet is Uranus. This house is all about direction, yeah? So where are you going? Who are you becoming? The 11th house terrain always lives in the future, just beyond your grasp, which is kind of a tricky, tricky concept, right? Successful navigation of the 11th comes from having direction, so knowing where you're directing your energy for the future, but living in the now, yeah, So it's an awareness of the future and how it affects the present. Does that make sense? This is an intellectual house of ideas and innovation strengthened in power by the joining of like-minded people. The 11th house is the house of groups, friends, and organizations. Any kind of team of people that band together for a common cause It's the terrain of the visionary, the revolutionary, and the humanitarian. The eleventh house is inventive and innovative, concerned with progress and change, moving the world towards a better future for the collective. Activists usually have really prominent eleventh house placements. Okay, so why do they call it the house of friends? Uh, I wasn't so sure about it, and. I've always sort of known it as the house of friends. And then I was like, yeah, but why? Why is it the house of friends? Because I have lots of friends and I don't have much going on in the 11th. Although my Mercury is in the 11th. But I wanted to read you this. Stephen Forrest, I mention him all the time on this podcast. It's because he's an incredible astrologer and he's very, very wise. He has some things to say about why we call it the house of friends. And I think it's quite interesting. So I'm going to read it to you. First, we must define the word friend friend, in this case, has little to do with real intimacy. For that kind of insight, we look to the seventh house, not the eleventh. What we see here is far more superficial. We see only an ocean of familiar faces, our associates, our peer group, our crowd. How do we choose those people? We choose them because they reflect our goals. If we aspire to being an artist, we seek out the company of artists. If we want to write, we're drawn to writers. If we want to become braver, we seek adventurers and daredevils. To find life's meaning, we associate with mystics and yogis and students of philosophy. By embodying the future we want for ourselves, those people help stabilise our own intentions. For us, they symbolise our the future and by interacting with them our own aim is made more real to us first comes the goal then come the friends yeah so maybe maybe Stephen Forrest is right and that is why it's called the house of friends I'm sure he's right he's very experienced (laughs) he's definitely right all right we are at the 12th house oh The 12th house, it is a doozy of a house. Uh, Let's see how I go explaining it. The 12th house is traditionally known as the house of troubles. What? Yes, it is. And uh, not to make this about me, but I have my sun, my Venus, my Chiron, and my North Node all in the 12th house. I am trouble. Better described though, The 12th house is better described as the house of transcendence. Its corresponding sign is Pisces and its corresponding planet is Neptune. So the 12th house is the unconscious. Yeah, it's the house of spirituality, of non-attachment. It's where the ego dissolves completely and becomes part of a universal consciousness The 12th house asks us to retreat from the real world for the sake of finding spirit. Here we understand life as bigger than our tiny egos. It is a tricky house to explain and also a tricky house to navigate. Yeah, so like I said, I got a lot of placements in the 12th and I still struggle to articulate it, which I guess is the whole point of the 12th it's intangible, it has no form or intellect, it is without words or logic, it is free of identity, it's pure consciousness. Escape is a huge theme of the 12th and it can be seen in two lights. An escape and avoidance from reality where we seek numbness and distraction or an escape from the ego where we go inward to our inner reserve, a place of peace and stillness in order to find meaning. A classic 12th house failed navigation is addiction. Seeking to obliterate consciousness completely, yeah? Numb out. If you have planets in the 12th, especially personal planets, things like meditation, spiritual anchor points, working on inner peace and avoiding escapism and numbness will be your greatest ally, yeah? So for me, I have absolutely no addictive qualities whatsoever. I really don't. Um, And I don't seek numbness and distraction through things like alcohol or drugs or sex or anything like that. But I do have moments where I need to escape real- what I feel like is a need to escape reality. And for me, I'll do that by watching a movie or, you know, um, binging on a show, like just to escape the world for a minute. And that's okay. Like I manage that, you know, I'm, I'm not addicted to it. I use that escape in a healthy way. But what I really need to do is a lot more meditation, like a lot more than I do already. Yeah. For me, that's a way to nourish and navigate that 12th house energy. Yeah. All right. So that's the 12 houses. What a bloody ride we've been on. (laughs) remember if you don't have a planet in the house it doesn't mean it's not relevant to you the sign will tell you how you're likely to experience it if you need someone to explain your natal chart to you in a really practical and digestible way book in a session with me i've got plenty of spots in december and january and you know onwards from there um, if you would like to book a session, you can click the link in the show notes of this episode or head to my website, jordanalevine.com, or head to the Lunar Lover Instagram account at lover, and click the link in the bio and you can book in a session there. I will see you next week for Sagittarius season and the Sagittarius new moon. Until then, I'm Jordana Levine and you've been listening to Lunar Lover